Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, the show about the critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I am Michael, and with me is my co-host, Cameron. Yep. Today, uh, we are finishing off episode six of this uh, very, very strangely brief series. You know, I promised at the very beginning that we would uh, cover the entirety of Homestuck in 13 episodes, and uh, we're still on track for that, I'm, I'm very pleased to say. Uh, and today we finish off just, just the halfway mark of episode six. How are you feeling what? about that? This is the halfway mark of episode six? Well, I mean, s- episode six is the halfway mark. We're finishing episode oh. six today. Oh, my God. You have no idea the amount of terror that just shot through my body. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Next okay. time we'll Whew. next time we'll have we'll have episode seven. But I'll say more about that at the end. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, This was the big one. This was it. Like, in real life, uh, you know, the fandom got put on hold for two months as the end of act animation was put together. And plus, like, Hussey had to see to some other things. Uh, You know, there were, like, problem sleuth books to write commentary for and do the layouts for and things like that. Conventions to go to and so on. Um, But, yeah, this this was, like... uh, yeah, I guess this would be like the fever pitch of Homestuck ex- excitement, right? Like, I think even if the Google hits don't really crest for another year, um, this was an event. Uh, and it's interesting, like, you know, talking about the method of the show, it's the thing that we do constantly on every show. Uh, but one of the things that the method of this show really underscores for me is like, how much my understanding of Homestuck is really bound up in what it was like to be a serial reader. Uh, because I'm sure if you're reading this archival rate, ar- oh my God, fuck. Archivalry, of course, we all uh-huh. know, is the yes. practice of becoming a historian al- on Alternia. You have mm-hmm. to uh, create some sort of uh, uh, rival mm-hmm. and you get involved in archivalry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to pilot your libraries into one another. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Oh my god! It is just like it's like the fucking uh, Balam Garden from Final Fantasy yeah. VIII, right? Yeah. Oh my god, that's good. You know what? This is that's our AU. good. That's yeah. That's good stuff about teens. People uh-huh. people like to ask. People love to charge me with not liking Homestuck. And again, I will say, as I have had to assert repeatedly, I enjoy reading Homestuck. I I'm not being held hostage. Uh, I'm not strapped down to the chair every single part episode. Uh, Michael Michael doesn't have a large blade uh, that he's menacing me with. I'm here of my own volition, and I mostly have a good time as I talk about in nearly every part episode. Uh, but Homestuck doesn't hold a candle to Final Fantasy VIII, the <laughs> ultimate weird teen thing. Uh huh. Yes, <laughs> I <laughs> like, agree. Like. <laughs> Like Final Fantasy VIII was it, it was my homestuck before homestuck in many ways. Mm-hmm. It's still my homestuck. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm about to start. It probably will start before this is done. Oh, I haven't announced it anywhere, but this is where it's going to happen. I'm going to start a weekly stream playing through Final Fantasy VIII. Ooh boy! Now the summer's kind of coming. Yeah. I have more free time in my life. But summer classics. Summer of finding the most classic Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy VIII. Whoa. Wow. Okay. Guardian anyway. Force. Um, Guardian Force. <laughs> Guardian Force. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Like, 
if we only read technically 12 pages for today, very, very short compared to basically every other part of Sode. But that was because, you know, at least partly I'm I'm trying to scaffold things in such a way to uh, draw attention to what this story was like as it was being told, because I think uh, if you have this whole thing in front of you, uh, it reads very differently and the experience is very different. And I think that has an impact on you know, kind of the interpretations that you form of it. Uh, I think, I mean, this maybe shouldn't be much of a surprise, but I think that if you encounter this thing as a finished object, uh, the types of interpretations you're going to come up with are just like completely different from the sorts of things that people who experienced it serially would, right? I certainly feel like my opinion on uh, this comic is deeply influenced by the serial aspect uh, to the degree. I mean, People are always talking about your response to things, Cameron, and how you nitpick things or don't like things or whatever. Or the other option here is that people will speculate about your opinions on things like, Mm -hmm. oh, I wonder what Cameron is going to think when we get to blah. Right. That's a that's a thing that people ask uh, a lot in kind of, you know, reception channels for this. Mm -hmm. And they say blah. Yeah, that's exactly. (laughs) I mean, it's a Homestuck joke. Uh, But. Uh, the thing that I think is really fascinating about that is like no one really cares what I think. Like no one's speculating really about like what Michael thinks. And part of this is because like you're the new reader. You're the one who's going to have kind of the freshest reaction to things. And I, I've written publicly about Homestuck in a way that I think probably puts to bed certain like big questions. Like no one's like, damn, I wonder how Michael's going to react when he reads like, <laughs> I don't know, act six for the thousandth time or whatever. Well, um, I, I think a lot of the community, too, is focused around novelty. Um, mm-hmm, like, because, mm-hmm. you know, the joke of let me tell you about Homestuck is partially based on the idea of, like, someone who is a f- devoted fan of the thing having the novel interaction of telling someone who doesn't know anything about it about it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, the there's something interesting in the fan community where, like, the labor uh, the labor of someone working through it which is what mm-hmm. you're doing. And mm-hmm. then the novelty of someone who doesn't know about it, learning about it, those two things are tightly knit up in, in one another. And I think that's part of why people like listening to the show. Mm-hmm. And again, I have to assert that I'm not hating reading Homestuck. I think it is perfectly cool and I enjoy it. But, uh, you know, so I think that's like, you know, uh, for people, for you, it's like, how is he going to explain this? That, that's the form it takes for you, you know, to get meta mm-hmm. for a moment is like, how is your summary going to work? Right. Like, uh-huh. how is this going to sound? How are you going to interpret? How are you going to a lot of the focus on you I've noticed is like how you scaffold things for me or like uh-huh. politely laugh when I maybe get a thing right or wrong or whatever. I don't get I don't read the spoiler, so I don't know if I'm right or wrong. But, uh, <laughs> you know, sir, I see people commenting about it all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I suppose that's true. I will say I have uh, there's been a handful of times I've seen people make some called shots about like what my reaction to or opinion on things is Mm -hmm. not very frequent. It's just a handful, but I do want to say just because I think it's interesting. I have not seen a single person correctly guess what I think about like the back half of this comic. (laughs) I have seen people make, make uh, uh, predictions that are in fact, absolutely wrong. Like the actual, the, they guess the opposite of what my reaction is. And I think that's very interesting and very funny. Well, speaking of the predictive future here, right? So between what we finished with the last one and this one, there's like, what, two months or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obvi- so people know, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but we tend to record these in clusters. Mm-hmm. 
So we tend to record a couple at a time, sometimes only one, but generally a couple at a time. And so um, I did all the reading for the last part of SODE and this part of SODE kind of in the same week. But since I knew there was a big gap, because mm-hmm. I think you, you told me that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I knew there was a big gap. I did read everything from the last part of SODE. And then I took like two days. Mm-hmm. I didn't have like a huge amount of time. I couldn't wait a full month. <laughs> right. But I couldn't even wait like a full week just due to my schedule. But I did try to take like two days and just mm-hmm. like not think about Homestuck. And then I came back in to read this. And I, I'll be honest, I thought there was some trickery afoot because you were like, there's only 10 pages or 12 pages or whatever. And I was like, all right, Michael's tricking me somehow. And so <laughs> I, I like told my very brave wife, I was like, all right, I got to go in there and read Homestuck <laughs> because I very purposefully do not remove this from my desktop PC. Like, mm-hmm. I enjoy reading this, but it's work, yes. right? Like, like it is things that we do as part of, like, a worky work thing, right? So, like, mm-hmm. I don't put it on a mobile device of any sort. It's not on a tablet. I don't access this through a laptop. The archive is on my desktop PC, and I got to come sit down at my working, you know, editing PC. Uh, I mean, that's it's my PC for everything, but, you know, I got a worky mm-hmm. work relationship with this computer on purpose. Mm-hmm. And so... I come and do it. And I was like, I don't know. I was like, it's only 12 pages. So either I'm going to be in there for three and a half hours or I'll be in there for 10 minutes. Uh, And weirdly enough, it's somewhere in between uh, because (laughs) there's a thing here that takes forever. Uh Uh, But but yeah, it it was an interesting moment where it was like pure speculation. I was like, this could be, you know, it could be one panel. That's five billion words. I don't, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it, it could be a whole novel. I have to go sit and read. I literally don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, it's kind of a whole novel to sit and read, but watch. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For the, for the two months and uh, to, to assuage any, anyone wondering in, in the listenership at the moment, I'm probably not going to go out of my way to reproduce these uh, breaks in the episodes going forward. Right. Like there, there there's going to be a point in the future where like the comic takes a break for a year. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to like bother trying to, to reproduce that and then like have a, a big chunk of downtime. Right. I think maybe the back half of this, we're going to uh, run on a basically the same kind of like operant schedule, but I'm going to absolutely in our discussions shout out like, Hey, even though we read from here to here in the middle, there was actually a break of so many months or what have you, I'll, I'll try to point out those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, this one, uh, because it was kind of like the fever pitch moment, I did kind of want to give it the, uh, 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 I guess, the gravitas that it deserved. And I will say, you know, there's not a whole lot I know about the epilogues because the vast majority of what gets said about the epilogue, or not the epilogues, but the Act 6 and then the epilogues. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I see people, like, tag those and then, like, massive spoilers. So I don't, I don't mm-hmm. really know anything about them. But uh, really, the the only other thing that's comparable to those to the the amount of time that people are like spending time spoiling that stuff or putting that stuff behind spoilers and discussion is what happens here, Cascade. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like the number of like Cascade and then big block of spoiler stuff that I've seen uh, is is pretty interesting. And people talk about this a lot. And I kind of knew about this a little bit before we started the show, just because like Cascade comes up fairly often. Mm-hmm. I think people really like the music too, which mm-hmm. is a part of it. But uh, it's what, what is very funny about that, and I know that you're about to get to the summary. 
uh, which is going to be very helpful for me because I don't know what the fuck is going on in 90% <laughs> of this massive animation. <laughs> like, I know all the plotty plot stuff, but as far as, like, the contextual images that appear that have no plotty plot relevance immediately or that are references to some other piece of the comic, is it is absolutely bewildering. So I'm looking forward to your summary clarifying uh, literally the entirety of what I watched. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with that said, I got this ready to go. <laughs> I'm ready for that summary. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Carcat contacts Jade just prior to the scratch, but she is distracted by the courtyard droll, who is descending from the sky on one of Dad's gargantuan packs of shaving cream, which he's rigged with explosives. Carcat loses connection with the kid's session just before the detonation, which kills Jade and knocks the Genesis tadpole from the top of her house. It tumbles into the volcano below. CD congratulates himself on a job well done, but Jack Noir is not as pleased by Jade's death as he thought he would be. It is past midnight on October 25th, 2011, and I am staying up late to watch Homestuck's End of Act 5 animation. I am in my first semester of graduate school, and for a course on pre-modern aesthetic theory, I am reading pre-Christian Neoplatonists. In the margins of a section from Proclus on how bodies only move when in communication with the soul, I write, A text without a reader is inert. It is an afternoon in October of 2021, and I am rereading Lauren Berlant's 2008 book, The Female Complaint, in preparation for a podcast I have perhaps unwisely committed to make on Homestuck. Berlant's aim is to theorize the development through American popular fiction and mass media from the mid-19th century to the present of what they call the idea of an intimate public. The fantasy of belonging to a social sphere not based primarily or necessarily on explicit political and ideological affiliations, but rather on a general culture of fellow feeling over shared fictional and cultural narratives that orbit the same questions of desire, expectation, disappointment, and normativity. Berlant writes, An intimate public operates when a market opens up to a block of consumers, claiming to circulate texts and things that express those people's particular core interests and desires. When this kind of culture of circulation takes hold, participants in the intimate public feel as though it expresses what is common among them, a subjective likeness that seems to emanate from their history and their ongoing attachments and actions. Their participation seems to confirm the sense that even before there was a market addressed to them, there existed a world of strangers who would be emotionally literate in each other's experiences of power, intimacy, desire, and discontent with all that entails. Varieties of suffering and fantasies of transcendence, longing for reciprocity with other humans in the world, irrational and rational attachments to the way things are, special styles of ferocity and refusal, and a creative will to survive that attends to everyday situations while imagining conditions of flourishing within and beyond them. Later in the same volume, Berlant writes, What are the political consequences of a commoditized relation among subjects who are defined not as actors in history, but as persons who shop and feel? 
mass-mediated popular culture is always generating more opportunities for fomenting a sense of focused belonging to an evolving world in this intensely connected yet mediated way. On an afternoon in October of 2021, I write in the margin here one word. Fandom. It is past midnight on October 25th, 2011, and at 12.58 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, five minutes after the last panel I described, Andrew Hussey posts the end of Act 5 animation, titled Cascade. In the weeks leading up to this moment, Hussey has mentioned a plan to mitigate server strain for the update, which is expected to draw 2 million visitors to the website. This plan turns out to be a co-hosting agreement with Flash game and animation site Newgrounds. But something goes wrong. Within three minutes of Cascade going live, Newgrounds is down. Please, if any of you can acquire a copy of The Flash, rehost it for the sake of the internet, rapid share, media fire, whatever, Newgrounds is shitting itself. Stuck at 92%. Someone get Newgrounds to its quest bed is dying for the end of Act 5, heroic or just. It got stuck at 89% for me, you tease of a download. What happened? And now Newgrounds isn't responding. Fuck it, I'll check back in an hour or so. <laughs> we killed Newgrounds. Well, I'm going to sleep. The Flash really won't be available anytime soon from the looks of it. This is pretty much exactly what I expected to happen. I actually screamed so loud, no! Well, tweets Hussey, that didn't work. People beg them to post a download link, but Hussey responds that their desire is for the Flash to be on the website specifically, as there are elements that will only work as intended there. Immediately, a vast reserve of wishful thinking from the past two months seems a little less wishful. It has to be on the website? Is there interactivity? Is it a walk around? Is there voice acting? A lucky few have managed to see the whole thing and are starting to report back. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know that holy shit, that animation is fucking crazy. The animation, for wishful thinking aside, that is all of it it is, is five minutes long. No wait, it's 13 minutes long. Actually, it's 14 minutes long. Gah, eh, this is terrible. Waiting is terrible. Everything is terrible. Anyone who got to watch it, I hate you all. Well, I didn't really feel like sleeping tonight anyway. All right, you bastards who have actually seen it, give us a summary. No, don't do that. I'm crying in real life. I warned you about servers, bro. I told you, dog. Summaries are given in bullet points behind spoiler tags. They are largely incomprehensible. By 2 o'clock on Livestream.com, those who manage to salvage the file from their browser cache play the flash on repeat for rooms that rapidly reach their viewer caps. Rooms with no viewer caps chug considerably. Quality is grainy, and chats are a nightmare of people shouting reactions, non-sequiturs, spoilers, or simply trying to parse what they are seeing. Is it really 14 minutes? I saw the whole thing. Wow, it is really 14 minutes. More like 15? What the hell did I just watch? No words. No words at all. Show's over, guys. Hussy cannot top this. So convoluted, yet so good. By 2.45 a.m., Andrew Hussey reluctantly posts a mega-upload link to Twitter. Within 15 minutes, possibly due to an automated traffic flag, the mega-upload link is taken down. 
Project Wonderful ad spots on MSPaintAdventures.com are going for $150. By 3.13 a.m., when the mega upload link is restored, the torrents are already being seeded. Everything save the general background noise of excitement and exclamation goes quiet as people watch. And then they reconvene. Bashing on their keyboards, sketching on their tablets, recording their faces, recording their thoughts, recording their imaginings, recording themselves for pages and pages of excited chatter that will extend throughout the next day as they try to piece together exactly what just happened. Which was this. John initiates the scratch. In the Trolls session, Jack Noir uses his Red Miles attack on the Genesis Frog, beginning the destruction of the kids' universe. On Earth, the Red Miles rain down as PM and AR prepare to blow up the exile stations. But first, they wait as the White Queen welcomes the White King, who emerges from the Lotus Pod time capsule in the Frog Ruins. On Jade's planet, Jack Noir kills the courtyard droll and, forlorn, transports Jade's body to her quest bed before flying off to the frog ruins on their meteor, hiding in the Lotus time capsule just before it is sent to Earth. Millennia later, he emerges on post-apocalyptic Earth seconds after the White King and kills both Prospician monarchs. AR begins blowing up the exile stations, but hesitates over the final one, where WV is still trapped. Jack Noir kills AR, then teleports inside the last exile station. Finding it out of fuel, he eviscerates WV with his bare hand, pulling from his belly the chunk of uranium WV ate all the way back in his introduction. Jack uses it to power up the exile station and transports himself into the Trolls session, where he proceeds to kill their dream selves, destroy all their planets, Prospect and Purpo, accidentally resurrecting Aradia, and then kills the Genesis Frog, as we've already seen. In the furthest ring, Rose and Dave dispatch the Draconian Dignitary, and with Liv Tyler the Cyber Bunny, head to the center of Purpo's moon, where they find god-tier slabs like the ones that resurrected Aradia. They deploy the tumor, which cracks open to reveal a massive red and blue bomb with a timer ticking down. Through the visual language of circumstantial simultaneity, we are told that the red half of the bomb corresponds to the kid's universe, which Jack has already destroyed. The blue half corresponds to the troll's universe, where Spade Slick now squares off against Snowman. She asks him what he's waiting for, and Slick draws Doc Scratch's magnum, firing a single cue ball directly into her heart, ending the troll's universe. On Jade's planet, a flock of hummingbirds descend on her corpse. On the battlefield, Dave Sprite and Jade Sprite watch as a massive meteor bears down on them. But suddenly, as Jade's quest bed lights up, Jade Sprite herself undergoes a startling transformation into a part dog, part girl, part first guardian, fully alive and ascended god-tier witch of space, complete with ruby slippers. With her new powers, she easily casts aside the meteor and levitates a Prospician battleship, shrinking the entire battlefield down and setting about the medium to collect John and the remaining planets, just as she promised Echidna. PM discovers WV's wounded body along with the ring of power he has guarded all these years. She prepares to put it on. Rose and Dave traverse the furthest ring, confused because they have not yet found the green sun. On the meteor lab, with Lil Cal sitting in his lap, Gamzee fondly regards Jade's initial prototyping of her dead dream self while carrying on a conversation with Doc Scratch, who informs Gamzee that he and all his friends and companions are nothing more than suckers. 
What, what do you think of Doc Scratch? Because I have so much to say about this. Well, I think that... Look, I'm a sucker for it. A sucker, yeah. A sucker. <laughs> the timer on the bomb finally reaches zero, and with the combined obliteration of two universes, the green sun is not destroyed, but created. It lights up the furthest ring, and using Sullux's telekinetic powers, the remaining trolls blast their meteor out of the session toward it. Jack Noir sees this, but before he can give chase, he is confronted by PM, who enters the troll session empowered by the Queen's Ring, the dying WV, and the Firefly Serenity, remember her, in tow. Outside the green sun, Aradia and the second Sullux welcome Rose and Dave, who emerge from the sun's fires as a god-tier seer of light and night of time, respectively. On the battleship with John and all the shrunken planets, Jade conjures the fourth wall and begins to enlarge it as the entirety of Homestuck plays on it in reverse. When the wall is large enough, she rockets the battleship through and into the unknown world beyond, just as the replay reaches the first panel of Homestuck and tattered curtains fall on the burning ruins of Act 5. Then, a few days later, the curtains fall on the curtains, and the second intermission begins. In the furthest ring, the billiard ball server we saw back in Act 5-1 executes the code meant to run on the death of the Trolls universe. The remains of Doc Scratch's apartment, meanwhile, float inside the green sun. Doc's grandfather clock slowly stops ticking as Doc's nearby body, unmoved since Andrew Hussey left, glows with an eerie green power. Doc's arms and legs bulge, ripple, and split as long, veiny limbs protrude from his tiny frame. Clawed hands burst from his gloves. A bloody stump emerges from a place where a leg should be, and is soon fitted with a prosthetic in the form of a golden pool cue. In Andrew Hussey's house, the flashing overcoat draped across one of the two opposing fourth walls disappears, just as Jade's miniature battleship blasts through. The coat reappears in Doc's apartment, where it fits perfectly on a massive, muscular green torso. Doc's cue ball head begins to crack and pulse. The grandfather clock goes nuts, keeping no time at all, or perhaps all time at once, and Doc's head dissolves to reveal the true face of Lord English. A gibbering green skull with fangs, a gold tooth, and flashing billiard balls for eyes. He emits a vast and terrifying honk. His coat transforms into a sarcophagus with a Terminator face, and he goes back in time to rule, as he has always ruled, the past, present, and future of Alternia. The second intermission ends. That's something. It's something, all right. That's what, uh, what happened. <laughs> so the animation is 13 and a half minutes long. Like 13 minutes right. and 40 seconds, I think. It is not 15 minutes, but uh, I did appreciate in looking over all of those posts that I was uh, quoting for my summary here. Uh, the gradual creep of how lo how much longer the animation got, like the longer people could not uh, watch it in mass. <laughs> it's 28 minutes. <laughs> it's 40 minutes. Because uh, you know that some people are just stirring the whole poop on yeah. the whole internet there, making people feel bad. Yeah. Because they're rude. Well, and like the other thing about the internet is that 
there are people who believe things that they read on it, which is something that gets talked about uh, a little bit uh, before the animation posts where uh, uh, Toby Fox radiation uh, is posting in the something awful thread saying like, yeah, like, man, I can't believe it. Like uh, because over the past two months, as, as things have been kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of speculation, as I as I said, about like what this is going to be. Is it going to have an interactive element? Is it going to be a walk around? Like, is it going to have is it going to have voice acting? Like that was a big thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. is it going to have voice acting? And mm-hmm. uh, someone uh, uh, Toby Fox comes into the thread and said, like, yeah, someone on uh, Tumblr sent me an ask that was just like, are you doing voice acting for the end of Act Five? And uh uh, Toby says, well, I said yes, said it as a joke, but then like people were like, oh, my God, Toby Fox is doing voice acting for Homestuck end of act five. Right. Uh, and and, and uh, Toby in the thread is talking about, uh, you know, sort of being uh, uh, flabbergasted, I guess, is, is a good word um, by a thing that I think in the intervening years we have all learned, uh, which is that people really will believe anything that you say on the Internet. Like they will just do it uh, and it doesn't matter how much you're joking or how absurd the thing that you're confirming is. Someone's going to believe it or act as if they believe it at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. It is a pitfall of the social media age in which, uh, you know, there there's very little ways to communicate unseriousness mm-hmm. uh, unless you are sweet bro and hell, Jeff. <laughs> You know what I mean? Unless, yes. unless you're drill. Yeah. <laughs> it's very difficult to to uh, say things that are not immediately taken as as true by uh, by other people, and especially if you're in a position like Toby Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, or even at this time, I, I'm imagining... I imagine some percentage of those Homestuck uh, enjoyers are, are uh, hanging out, you know, checking mm-hmm. out Toby Fox's stuff, even pre-Undertale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Lord English looks goofy. <laughs> Doesn't he, though? It looks like a little goofball. <laughs> so uh, as as the historical Michael uh, uh, encounters this, uh, you know, the, like Lord English has always been this point of interest for me. And then this happens. And my response is something like, well, why the fuck not? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, of course. Right. I've read this comic. I know how it works. Like. Sure, of course, Lord English is going to be uh, a, a big, muscular uh, skeleton monster. Okay, like let's see where the, where we go from here. All right, <laughs> some sort of skeleton Hulk. <laughs> it's so good. Also, like uh, hussy. So people people have big big reactions to this revelation of Lord English. <laughs> oh, oh um, they have to, especially given all the you know the the fan art you were showing me for the last part episode, which yes. is like Green Doctor Who. Essentially, yes, right? Yes. And, you know, beautiful Sherlockian kind of like Tumblr aesthetic to it, and he's he's the, basically the fucking Green Goblin with a skeleton head on. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that, that is very good. That's very funny. Yeah, and so Hussey like digs into this, and it's like everyone was kind of expecting Lord English to just be like another version of Doc Scratch, right? Like erudite yeah, yeah, yeah. and dapper, and uh, no, actually, right? Says Hussey. Uh, uh, Lord English is like the uh, uh, the Mister Hyde to uh, Scratch's mm. Doctor Jekyll, right? And and actually puts out like uh, as style references because uh, Hussey says like this is how this is how Lord English looked when I first designed him, like back in the intermission. Hussey gives his kind of like style uh, guides: the Incredible Hulk, uh, the Red Skull, 
Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember. His, I mean, basically just like every single supervillain that you could imagine. Uh, like, uh, so all of these the things. Hulk's kind just of, misunderstood. I don't, I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I don't know why, but like the Hulk gets lumped in here. But yeah, like Red Skull, uh, the Hulk. Um, and I think the there Hulk. actually is a little like the, the, the Doctor Who stuff is kind of accidental. But, uh, you know, it works because there's the, the one uh, Doctor Who that wore the. Mm-hmm. ugly scarf. ugly scarf yeah what about uh joseph and the technicolor dream coat oh, that, that is that is a show thing. up anywhere yes that's a thing that hussey mentions as well okay as like specifically <laughs> an inspiration for lord english's cairo overcoat oh that that's good yeah i was just i was wondering about you know who was the villain of, of yeah. that <laughs> um yeah i you know i i can appreciate it I like that it's not what anyone aimed for. Mm-hmm. I it, I don't think in the big lottery it seemed like many people were thinking that's what they were going to get, and that's mm-hmm. that's fun. That can be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got like a little cow's like red uh, red cherry cheeks. He's got those. Right. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about him coming out of Doc Scratch. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish he was another entity. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I guess yeah. he is kind of. Yeah, I mean, one of the this is one of the ways in which like having the the granular reading apparatus of fandom really helps, because this is the Mm. point where people realize that Doc, one of the things Doc Scratch keeps saying is that he's an excellent host. (laughs) That's that's good. Right. So he like he's funny. Yeah, yeah, he's been carrying Lord English inside of him and now he bursts forth like a chest burster. Kind of a little bit, uh, a little bit Hellboy too. the Uh Guillermo del Toro film, you know, uh, I, I carry my God inside of me mm-hmm cool yep cool stuff uh there's also like the absolute bizarre not 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 bizarre but just like the fact that the green sun gets created rather than destroyed and now people go back through and they realize that doc scratch never actually said that the tumor would destroy the green sun he just said it could and he also said that the green sun was the size of two universes so I guess I'm confused about that. So the, the sections, I mean, I'm confused about a lot of stuff and yeah. I'm happy to, to have you explain literally all of it to me, but yeah. uh, one of them is that, so when Aradia and uh, uh, red and blue eyes, Solix, I don't know. I couldn't do that. Uh, the, uh, when, the, when they, in the previous scenes that we have seen of them floating there in space and looking at it. Mm-hmm. So that's in the moments right after this. Yes. Uh, so it wasn't there to begin with. Right. Like that's a, another little like, ah, you you assumed that Aradia saw the sun and then went off into the dream bubbles. But now we realize Aradia went, found the green sun, uh, m- like met with Rose and Dave and then did other things like all these scenes with Aradia and Sullux outside of the green sun have actually been happening uh, at a different time than the narrative would have led you to expect. So, uh, really, Homestuck, the lesson of Homestuck so far is assuming makes an ass out of you and me. Uh-huh. You just uh, form all this fan fiction in your head about things that I state, and if you have cognition about it, buddy, that's your problem. I, uh, uh, let me tell you, I know, I know cognition's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need Andrew Hussey to tell me that. Uh, the, uh, so, so everybody, all the original teens, they're all god tier now? Yep. Yep, everyone, everyone's got a god tier. No one can die unless they're at a point in the plot where it would be extremely dramatic for them to do so. I really thought Jade was going to be dead. Like, permo dead. Mm, yeah. 
But nope, because uh, Jack Noir decides to put her body on her quest bed. Why? Oh, well, because uh, he's a game construct and has an instinct to put dead players on their beds or something. What is that? Uh, he's a dog. Yeah, good dog. He Best still friend. likes her. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought that was cool. I, I, I guess I thought that was an interesting thing. So why... I, I know you kind of went over this a little bit, right? Uh, the explosive weight for it, the importance of it. I'm now realizing bef- that I've had previous conversations about Cascade with people that I did not know were about Cascade. Yeah. <laughs> when people were like explaining Homestuck to me. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. What's like the big... Are there things that like blow up in the fandom after this? Like, what are the big pressure points? Because I'll be honest, a lot of the <laughs> things that happen here are just like, for me, I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I don't have, I'm sure that in the fandom uh, in, of people who are like heavily engaged at the time, that this is like answering riddles for them or like giving them information. So obviously the Lord English thing is part of that. Like, okay, that's mm-hmm. happening. But, uh, you know, it's just like, I don't, uh, about like the queen and all that stuff. Yeah. I like as I'm watching that I'm just thinking okay well this is just occurring but I feel like this is probably in conversation with like assumptions that people have about the plot uh that I'm not really privy to being a archival reader. Well, okay. So uh the things that people really like from this uh and this is again sort of stuff that I'm getting from like the the Homestuck uh Tumblr Explorer. Thank you again, mm-hmm. Andy, because uh when the when the something awful thread gets locked for 2 months, it's like, well, I kind of do want to like be able to see what people were talking about during that time. So Andy uh, and I worked together and Andy was very kind and, and gave me a, a little preview of, of things ahead of where we had actually released episodes. So I could take a look at, at what was going on. Um, the, the on Tumblr, uh, a lot of uh, speculation is involved in like wh- which ships are going to be confirmed as canon, right? Who's going to kiss? Are people going to kiss? And I don't say this to like demean or like stereotype Tumblr. I just mean that like th- this is a question that is showing up uh, on Tumblr that is just never going to be asked in the something awful thread, at least not at this point. Um, but uh, sort of secondary to that, and this is something that I think the comic really does play into at this point. Uh, because no one kisses, by the way. Sorry. Uh, none of the none of the ships get confirmed, really, as canon. Uh, there were a lot of people that looked like really pulling for like a a, a Carcat Terezi moment in this flash. But um, it really looked like uh, Jade and uh, uh, Dave Sprite. <laughs> yeah, Dave Sprite. Yeah. I guess that didn't happen, unfortunately, no. or fortunately, depending on where you land on that. <laughs> Uh, but the other thing, aside from, you know, ships and stuff that people are kind of really interested in, uh, in Tumblr, at least, is uh, other people going God tier and like the the revelation of the of the canon God tier designs is huge. Like, uh, I think probably the thing that I see the most fan art for immediately after Cascade, like, is circulated enough that people can watch it is just like, here's all the kids in their God, God tier uniforms. Like, here's more of that. Here's more of that. Uh, the something that we haven't talked about too much on the show up until this point, but um, like the the questions that have been raised about, like, what does a God tier whatever of whatever look like is a topic of repeated fascination for the fandom. And people are really excited for seeing like uh, uh, canon versions of what these things are uh, to the point that within a couple of days of uh, Cascade posting, um, new uh, 
shirts get added to the store that show canon uh, god tier symbols for aspects that have not shown up. Well, like they've shown up in the comic. All the aspects have shown up in the comic. Um, but there's never been any reason, for instance, to see what the symbol like in, in the same way that John has like a, a, a windy symbol on his god tier shirt. Right. Mm-hmm. And now we find out that uh, Dave's symbol on his god tier shirt is like a gear. Um, people find like uh, we get a God tier heart shirt that has that symbol on it, uh, which was incidentally Nepeta's aspect. So we get to see like canon Nepeta's God tier aspect that she never unfortunately achieved. Uh, but now uh, it is confirmed by Hussey uh, through uh, not form spring because Hussey now moves from form spring to Tumblr. This is another important thing that happens mm. here. Hussey shuts down the form spring again and starts a Tumblr and begins taking questions on Tumblr. And so uh, after Cascade posts, a big uh, Q&A happens with a bunch of readers and uh, all of that is happening on Tumblr. But Hussey is like, uh, you know, very coyly is like, well, I guess you'll see if if uh, I'm going to post the rest of the canon uh, God tier designs as T-shirts in the store. And, you know, surprise, that is what happens, you know, um, what happens when people just uh, shop and feel together, you know? Yeah. Uh, sen- sentiment rules everything around me. Uh-huh. Scream, get the money. <laughs> uh, cool. You know, it's really funny to uh, to see this and see a bunch of characters I've not thought about in a long time and then to see them all get murdered back to back. <laughs> Talk about, you know, like, I feel bad about my called shots about, like, the way you pare down the, the <laughs> you know, the responsibilities of this narrative is just by murdering people indiscriminately. But you really get a sense in Cascade where it's like, I have not known what to do with these people since Act 2. Uh-huh. I'm just killing them all off. <laughs> Goodbye, all of the exiles. Uh, yeah. and, and to your question there, you know, there are some people who I've said before are really into the exiles and are unhappy about uh, the way that all of these plot lines with all of these characters just get dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like how this is playing with expectation, uh, one of the things that has happened in the story is that the White Queen has basically told WV that he is destined to wear the ring and like fight Jack Noir. Um, and it's PM who's going to be kind of like the new ruler of the society that they're going to try to build on on post-apocalyptic Earth. And so uh, Cascade is the moment where we see the White Queen's plan just go utterly wrong because she and the king are dead. They're not going to get to rebuild their civilization. Uh, and it's PM who takes the ring and is going to to fight Jack Noir. So uh, it it's. I don't know. I don't think there's a way you could say that, like, before this moment, most people believed that this happened uh, mm-hmm. or that this was going to happen. Because, for instance, there's a, a very uh, well-known piece of fan art that will go up on the Tumblr, homestuckmadethisfanart.com, that showed up maybe about six months ago in historical time, uh, just before or just after the White Queen did the thing where she was like, WV, you're good. And, you know, they don't actually have direct dialogue. So bear with me here. But she's like, WV, you're going to fight Jack Moore and wear the stupid ring. Um, and someone. Now, makes, why does she sound like that? Well, that's that's I, that's <laughs> when I was a that's really big. They, that's what the exiles sound like. They yeah. all sound like this. Uh-huh. <laughs> When I was a really big uh, Homestuck, uh, like big name fan, and I was recording all of my voices, people uh, loved my my white queen voice. <laughs> you, you, that's what you were known for in the uh, uh-huh. fandom before the show. I guess that, that's a weird thing. Look, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I was kind of, I'm always on the lookout for the Wizard of Oz showing up, because what you just did was a very Wizard of oz kind of voice. <laughs> yeah. uh, and still no Wizard of Oz. Hey, uh, Ruby Slippers. 
Uh-huh. Jade was wearing ruby slippers and she's a witch of space. Uh-huh. Sort of Glinda, the good witch. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, well, in- interesting. There you go. <laughs> Anyhow, um, uh, there's a, a very well-known piece of fan art that gets produced. It's sort of like, uh, you know, a in, in very speculative alternative way of looking at the story in the way that a lot of fan art and fan production can be. But it's basically like this. Uh, uh, it's like a, a series of panels and some text. And it's like, you know, what if instead of WV being the chosen hero, it was PM? And then what do you know? It turns out that PM mm-hmm. is, in fact, the chosen hero. I do like that. Yeah. Um, I, I like the, because that's kind of the weird thing about these, all the exile, since they were like the center of the story is they're like barely characters at this point. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they're really kind of running on fumes as far as like what they're doing in the plot and like what their characterization is, uh, that, you know, number one, it's hard to give them characterization because they don't do like running monologues, you know, Mm -hmm. in the same way that every other character kind of does. Um, and they don't really get in dialogues with one another and obvious, you know, often their, uh, conversations and things like that are like summarized and narrativized out, you know, into like this third person narrator. And so I, I, I don't know. I just kind of, you know, in my hierarchy of, of the importance of them, PM very bottom mm-hmm. as far as like effectiveness on the plot. And so I was like, I enjoyed that. I thought it was good that, uh, you know, she was able to kind of uh, get at the top of the pile here and get a bunch of cool powers, turn into a, a, a dog creature. Mm-hmm. Um, something interesting about giving Jade uh, ears here. Yeah. I mean, it did uh, the calls back to the introduction where they tr- the, the, the reader tries to make her stop being a furry. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> now, here she is straight like. Canonically a furry. Yes, as canonically a furry as you could possibly be. Oh, I I bet for the uh for the cosplayers. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. God, what it's a freebie. <laughs> um But yeah, so a bunch of people got murdered. I'm trying to think of other stuff there. Oh, uh the aspect ratio change. Uh-huh. Very cool. And that was uh the the thing that Hussey I don't know if this is a thing that Hussey has actually specifically said or if maybe it's a thing that I intuited. Uh, but when Hussey was saying, I don't want to post this for as a download because there are things that I want to people to see happening on the website, that aspect mm-hmm. ratio change, which if you haven't watched this, aren't, uh, uh, you know, reading along is the moment where Jack Noir like pulls back his hand to cast his attack on the Genesis frog. And uh, when he does that, the normal aspect ratio, like the up until that point, the flash has been running in the normal aspect ratio of the comic which has been consistent throughout. And then when Jack casts his spell, uh, the, the like lightning crackles out of his hand. And as it gets bigger, the frame around him enlarges so that, uh, the rest of the flash takes place in a, in a larger frame. Yeah, I guess I have also, I, I have just introduced aspect ratio, but maybe the aspect ratio doesn't change just the size of the canvas does yes. in, in Photoshop terms. Uh, but in my mind, it also like goes widescreen, but that's mm-hmm. not the case. I don't think it does, but that's super cool. That's rad. And then it gets bigger and smaller too. That's like part of the mm-hmm. the deal here. Uh, I think that's cool. It's straight up a Final Fantasy uh, <laughs> limit break. It's a Final <laughs> Fantasy VII limit break. Yes, it has, it has the it same has box. The label at the top. Yeah. Well, yeah, it has that label and it's red something. I didn't write it down. Red miles. Yeah. What is that? Uh, we might have had this conversation before, but it's a yeah, have we have we talked about it? I don't know. I don't remember. It is a 
this is it, it, it it's a pun about a, a, a less good joke so oh, great yeah. nothing i love more than a pun about a less good joke yeah so it is a callback to uh black inches which is a pornographic magazine that shows up in problem sleuth oh. remember all the characters in problem sleuth had like pornography right right that um, was a part of their <laughs> core character yeah. got it got it yeah wow god so, damn mm-hmm. of all the things <laughs> to, to go with mm-hmm. okay well great uh, great yep <laughs> uh this certainly was something made in 2011 it was uh and then there's like the the big uh the revelation that doc scratch has been lying the entire time uh that the green sun has in fact been created which like of course because this entire comic is about characters trying to solve a problem only to uh discover that they in fact uh in trying to solve the problem that they're trying to solve created the conditions for the problem that they're trying to solve yeah which of course right Mm mm-hmm What's up, what's up with this big uh, rewind at the end? Well, uh, we've seen Andrew Hussey in Andrew Hussey's mansion having these two fourth walls set across from each other. And yep. Jade has busted through one fourth wall and is on the way to the other. And if we have two fourth walls across from each other, then I suppose that means we have two fictional narratives that are running in parallel. Mm-hmm. And we've all just right. uh, re- rewound one of those narratives all the way to the beginning. And then in a couple days, we're going to start Act 6. Yeah, but why, though? Well, that's a great question. What do all the fans think? Uh, this is a topic of debate or discussion, right? People are really, because of the the the... The feeling is so high around Cascade in general, right? People are really yeah. on it. Uh, there is a feeling that we are truly heading toward kind of an end game that, uh, you know, Act 6, and this is not incorrect, that Act 6 is going to be like the the way that everything kind of comes together and then we reach an end. Um, <laughs> the mon- Yet again, that monkey's paw. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, people are like, oh, I bet, you know, uh, they're going to go through the other fourth wall. They're going to get into kind of like this parallel story where, like, at least we've already talked about that um, the heroes and their ancestors have been switched. So uh, they're going to join up with uh, uh, kids, uh, kid versions of grandma, grandpa, bro, and mom. Um, and they're going to have an eight player session. This is, of course, a thing that has been foreshadowed since foreshadowed. I, I put scare quotes around that, even though. Uh, this is an audio medium uh, mm-hmm. since page 847 when Rose descended into the lab. Uh, did I say that right? 847? No, it's 874. I I 874. I'm going to look. I'm going to go look at it. Yes. 874. That's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Way back in Act 2, I believe. Uh, all these wigglies and whatnot. Yeah. Rose goes into the lab uh, behind her house. Uh, she finds uh, this giant monitor that has a whole bunch of like meteor impacts mapped on it and everything. And then over at the side, there's a uh, there's an image of a game session, like with all the planets uh, in their orbit around Skya and everything. But uh, crucially, it has eight planets, not four, 
which is the number of planets that the game would have had with uh, the characters we have so far. The trolls, trolls, of course, had 12. Uh, but now we have four planets that are in Jade's possession. She is going over to a new game session uh, or at least a distinct game session that in theory also has four planets. So it looks like those four planets and these four planets are going to become these eight planets and we're going to have an eight player session. And that's going to hopefully be good for some reason. <laughs> Why would this guy know about that, though? Well, I'm. That's a question that yeah. has that does not deserve to be answered in any yeah. kind of way. Uh, the uh, well, so okay, so the running theory is that that would be uh, the the guardians, the parents. Yeah, session. Uh, uh, that, that's interesting. Up until this um, point, it was theorized that uh, four of the trolls at least were going to survive, and then it was the four trolls and the four kids were going to have this eight player session. And now that we have kind of the plot device of the scratch introduced. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, theoretically going to be the Guardians. And of course, uh, you ask, how how would we know? Why? Whose lab was this, Cameron? I don't know. It was mom's lab. It's, it's green. It's mom's lab. Oh, yeah. Like this is oh. this is it's actually technically it's Grandpa Harley's lab because it's Skynet. Uh, the company that made uh, the game, but we learn through indirection throughout the comic that Grandpa Harley owns Skyanet, uh, yeah. and Mom appears to work for him in some capacity. All right, so that's the going fan theory. So there's got it has to be completely the opposite in in a way <laughs> that feels rude and unfair. So uh, they're going to go over there, and it's going to be Scrabe, Bragon, uh grave and uh what's what's the other one i don't rose, know what you're rose, doing ruse okay and it's going to be alternate <laughs> universe versions of these and all their personalities are exactly 180 degrees from what they are in reality and they all hate each other and yet somehow they end up dating <laughs> that's that's my called shot that's what i think is going to happen okay We'll see. I feel like I feel like that last thing's very certain. <laughs> no matter what, no matter who it is, even if it is the, the their grandparents or whatever, somehow they end up dating. <laughs> we will see. We're gonna find out. <laughs> Warned you about mother wives, bro. I, let me let me make a prediction that here's the thing I don't want to have happen. So this will definitely also be the thing that happens. Okay. We get over there and it's another thing like the trolls. It's just like 15 <laughs> unrelated dudes <laughs> who are all new. It's all human we, versions of the felt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's going to be something like that. It's going to be like another dozen random people I have to learn all about. And then uh, they kill off two thirds of them. And then I have to like, uh, you know, really learn the rest of them. So what happens to what happened to the rest of the trolls that didn't cascade? Are they just chilling out in the same place they were? Because the thing their their dude is flying through space, right? Yeah, uh, they're on that meteor, like heading right. toward the green sun. Right, but nothing. Okay, so yeah. nothing happened at the end with them. Yes, no. the The biggest revelation we get uh, there is that uh, Gamzee, who was initially described as the most important character in Homestuck, uh, when Jade threw her dream self into into her Colonel Sprite, we revisit right. that moment, and we now realize that uh, Gamzee also had little Cal sitting in his lap. So. And Gamzee's a sucker. This. I, I just have to say it again. I hate little Cal. 
I've hated. I've been on the record since the uh-huh. very beginning. I've hated Little Cal for eternity, <laughs> and I, I feel deeply afraid that I'm going to be stuck with Little Cal for the next six months of my life, reading biweekly about Little Cal <laughs> and his hijinks and shenanigans. The final page of Homestuck is just going to be Little Cal. With with uh with you know like uh men in black style the universe and a little orb and he's gonna pop it in his mouth and eat it. <laughs> okay. Oh no. <laughs> you only say that when I've stumbled on yeah. something that's too true. <laughs> well, it's funny that you like. I mean, uh, you're looking so far in the future because in in like the thread right by november 4th everyone's just speculating about what's going to happen when act six starts uh which hussy says uh is going to be uh november 11th 2011 mm-hmm. so get yeah, 11 11 11 also the same day that skyrim releases wow yeah great well i know what i was doing that day playing skyrim <laughs> Yeah, you weren't uh, keeping notes about what you were reading in terms of Neoplatonism then? No, I was probably re- I was reading Proust. Mm, mm-hmm. I can say I know that for a fact. I was reading Proust at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so why I was taking the class on Proust. <laughs> playing Skyrim. <laughs> As one does. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I know I was doing that. I don't know what else I was up to, but I, I feel confident that I was reading Proust. Mm-hmm. Uh, the... You know, something I guess is a little bit interesting here. Okay, well, actually, I have two questions. Okay. Or or a statement and a question. Number one, it's interesting that Cascade is so big in the fandom. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that people talk about it fairly consistently, and it's such a big thing. I know that people revisit it. People talk about that on our Discord, like, just going back and watching it Mm -hmm. because it's cool. It's interesting to me uh, that that's the case because, to me, it is interesting and that, like, a bunch of stuff happens, but it's not particularly impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a big broad sense, like there, there are very few things in the image other than like, you know, the, you know, blowing up the universe, killing that frog, all that stuff. Very few things where I was like, wow, mm-hmm. rad. Mm-hmm. It was mostly just like, what's Jade doing with that ship? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Jade's bigger than the ship. What's the metaphor? <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Like, I, you know, uh, but then the other thing is like, uh, so there was no comic for like two months or like a month and a half before mm-hmm. this, right? Is the pitch is like Hussey talking about that in the sense of like, is this entirely like, hey, I'm building this animation or is it like, hey, I'm building this animation and working on a big chunk of X6 or, you know, is there any communication on that level? Because like I can imagine being a reader at the time and being like, oh, wow, we're we're not in for any more gaps for a while mm-hmm. uh, because maybe they're like pre-making a bunch of stuff. But I don't know if that's true or not. Absolutely not. Uh, okay, yeah, okay. it's all it's all into the act stuff. Uh, plus what I said, like there's a uh, like Hussey mentions like working on the commentary for the problem sleuth print books and things like that. Got it. Um, and afterward gives kind of a, a, a breakdown via Tumblr on like what the process was here uh, in the past. Uh, I actually forgot to say this, and I think in the relevant part episode, but there was a bit uh, in the past on Formspring where Hussey made this really interesting comment. This was maybe I would it would have been maybe three or four part episodes ago at this point. Um, but Hussey makes this comment on the Formspring where it's like, well, you know, I, I really my job is is less of just an author and more like a producer. 
because I'm keeping like uh, the content flowing. Right. Is there an album coming out this month? Do we have album art for that? Uh, are all the tracks finalized? Oh, we're working on a flash Are all the contributors to the flash uh, getting their stuff in. Are they being uh, paid, you know, appropriately? Um, what where are all of the workflows at the current moment and that sort of thing? Uh, and so this just, uh, uh, I imagine, becomes the entirety of what it's like working on Cascade. And Hussey says that, like, yeah, it was like spinning all of these plates, uh, you know, working with, uh, I think the way that they frame it is something like, you would think that having a whole bunch of other people make your art assets for you uh, would make putting this thing together easier and in fact it just means you have to manage a whole bunch of people who are making art assets for you give them feedback when it's not quite what you want or sometimes taking what they have given you and like editing it yourself because you have a clearer idea of what it is you want versus them um and then there's also kind of this admission that hussy makes uh that they are not telling people context for what they're making uh they're describing like <laughs> I need I need a picture of Jade looking like this in kind of this pose or whatever. And then the person makes it. Oh, my God. Um, and Hussey says, you know, I don't like I don't like giving spoilers to even people on the art team. Um, and so there's this like real like control of information in terms of what the the contributors can put into what they're working on versus what Hussey knows or like needs to fit it into. Um Yes, uh, I'm always skeptical that giving contributors the full picture would actually improve the product. Uh, the process is more interesting this way. That is a direct quote. I mean, the, I'm sure the process is more interesting this way. The word interesting is not <laughs> the word. The word interesting is not equivalent to the word good. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, so have any of those people who are part of the art team, like at this point, have any of those people like done interviews or talked about this process? Um, or maybe you just haven't dug into that. I mean, I feel like that's the sort of thing that would cross my desk if it did happen. Um, right. and I don't think so. I am not sure if I'm wrong, like listeners out there, please, le please let me know. Um, but, uh, I mean, this, this is of a piece with what I have heard, particularly through, uh, 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 Genkra, who was doing a lot of the coding on the walkarounds early on and everything, um, where mm -hmm. she's, she said, you know, like, um, working with and this is stuff that people on the music team have also said sort of sort of similar things that working with Hussey is kind of like uh, you know, here. Here's an outline of something that I want. You make a thing to that outline and then Hussey like with like never telling you specifically what it is that uh, like where this thing is going to fold in will be like, well, could you do this or could you make it more like this? Right. Always sort of indirect uh, uh, sort of you know, giving gentle nudges or pushes, but never really saying here is what we are going to do. Uh, like, let's do it. Uh, I think maybe one of the closest moments we get to this, and this also, I want to say maybe probably changes by the end of this comic, by the time we get to the end of uh, the whole thing. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, in this instance, at least uh, one of the things that really did change in Hussey's workflow is that when they've made flashes before they've had the song, that you know came to them through uh the the artist or whatever and they have that it's song dream in, yes they have they have the song in mind and they're like oh i want to make this flash to this song and then they use the song as kind of the template right the the animation gets uh timed and sketched out and storyboarded uh to the beats of the song itself 
Cascade being 13 and a half minutes long uh, is actually a medley of several songs. And so uh, Hussey talks about working with Toby Fox, uh, who did kind of the like the, there are multiple artists who contribute to, to the Cascade track. But Toby Fox kind of has the final mix on it. Um, working with Toby Fox to be like, well, I I for the first time actually having to uh, make sure a song would time with a storyboard that already existed rather than doing it in the opposite direction. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know that that's going on and I don't and it's uh, maybe maybe Toby did say something about that in the thread, but also like Hussey talks about this on on the Tumblr and the big sort of post cascade Q&A. So gotcha. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, here we are in the ad break, uh, taking a little bit of time out of the episode to let you know about where Homestuck Made This World comes from, uh, which is the Range Touch network of podcasts uh, where Cameron and I do a couple of other shows, uh, things that you may be interested in listening to. If you like this episode and kind of what we're what we're doing with Homestuck, you might want to check out uh, Game Study Study Buddies, where Cameron and I work through books of academic game studies and try to make them useful for people who uh, haven't spent their lives uh, trying to figure out what's going on uh, in, in a classroom and, and oh, what does the teacher want you to read and what does this theorist think and, and all that stuff and like how does that have anything at all to do with video games if those are questions that you've had or frustrations that you've had then maybe game study study buddies is uh, something for you to check out particularly as you're listening to this uh, we will have recently done some episodes on tabletop role-playing games uh, very relevant to homestuck and then this coming summer we'll have the summer of classics where we're going to read through some kind of big names in the field that we've put off until now summer of classics uh, but all of that kind of aside, uh, what can you do if you're already listening to all this stuff and you just want us to do more? You want to hear more of us, right? We've already got all this content, but there could always be more content, right? Well, thankfully, we have a selection of bonusodes uh, for just King Things, for Homestuck Made This World, uh, for all sorts of stuff. And if you want those bonusodes, you can go to patreon.com slash ranged touch uh, and kick us a little bit of money. It'll explain, you know, uh, uh, where you get in for the just King Things bonus episodes versus the Homestuck Made This World bonus episodes. Uh with this episode of Homestuck Made This World that you're hearing right now, I think we're probably posting our bonus episode on Armageddon. So if you want additional Liv Tyler thoughts from us, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash range touch and you will get Liv Tyler thoughts from me and Cameron. Uh, aside from all of that, uh, the other thing you can do to help us out is tell your friends about this show or about our network. Uh, you know, tell them to check something out if you think that they'll uh, find something they like here. And you can tell strangers about us as well if you leave reviews for our podcasts. Uh, if you leave a five-star review that is also funny, uh, then there is a good chance that Cameron will pop in during an ad break and read your review on air like he is going to do now. I got two this time. Okay. This is from Blue Fox 413. Title separate enough for my fandom experience to not give me psychic damage. <laughs> I love this podcast. It's fascinating to revisit a comic that shaped my teen life, TM, with additional context of the forum history, etc. Every time you guys talk about Tumblr, I experience a freeze response as if caught in the eyes of a predatory animal. 
by the way, R.E., Michael's assertion that Dream Bubbles captured a fandom impulse, I think that's supported by the number of AU fanfics that use Dream Bubbles as a framing device slash ending twist. Oh. Perhaps most famously, Cities in Dust. Oh, yes. But I'm pretty sure there were many others, exclamation point. Mm-hmm. Thank you. If you fame? Please feel free to leave us reviews that tell us how right I am. I like those especially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, leave us five. Of course, uh, here, here's the guidelines. You got to leave five stars. And number two, you got to compliment us. Mm-hmm. Here, here's, a, here's one that's like uh, half a compliment and half an insult. Okay, great. This is from Callie Amy. Great insight. Title. One man really does not want to be here, and the other man offers fascinating insight into internet history, transformative fan influences, and the creation of Homestuck. One may question whether it is too cruel to make a man so opposed to everything about Homestuck read Homestuck. He sounds like he really hates doing this. I suppose it's the job of a critic to consume content you despise, so you can systematically nitpick all the things you didn't like. I'm personally not interested in listening to that kind of criticism, but the Homestuck history being laid out on the other critic is very interesting, so I plan to stay with the podcast. Uh, I just I just want to hop in to say I don't think that's happening. Yeah, I love your that's internet what... history, and I'm not nitpicking at all. I know that's the wild thing is I'm constantly historicizing, and you're constantly nitpicking, <laughs> and no one points it out. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't. I I look. Thanks for the review. Thanks for five stars. I don't hate doing this. If I hated doing this, I simply would not do it. Because I'm in a, uh, as a, uh, uh, as a famous, as the bard once said, if you don't like it, just leave. (laughs) Kick rocks. (laughs) Oh, I don't despise anything. And I I don't think the job of a critic is to uh, systematically nitpick stuff. So um, anyway, I think that's a, a very helpful review. And it allows me to get a little dig in and say, I'm not doing that. And I like Homestuck. And I'm having a good time. I need to yeah, emphasize. I'm looking forward to finding out what happens. Oh, go ahead. I need to emphasize. Cam- Cameron like sends me reactions, like DMs me. It's like ah, Gamzy. It's good. Good. Good goof. Like mm-hmm. Cam- Cameron enjoys these things. <laughs> really sad I didn't get enough of my uh, beautiful boy in this episode. Yeah. Honestly, I only got a little bit of zilly who. Let me. You know what? Let me read the third one. You ready? Okay. Five stars. The most accurate Homestuck experience. I never realized how much of Homestuck is a guy telling you what happens in Homestuck, but this is two guys telling you what happens in Homestuck, so it's twice as good. <laughs> That's by a little commenter known as, my name is Grant. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, thanks so much to, uh, to to everyone for writing a review. Leave us five stars on Apple uh, Podcasts or any other platform of your choice. We don't do any advertising, so other people learn about this through uh, algorithmic shenanigans and people telling you, uh, people telling other people about it. So if you are constantly out there saying, let me tell you about Homestuck, you should also be out there saying, let me tell you about some guys telling you about Homestuck. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, telling people about the show. But thanks so much for leaving the reviews to all the reviewers who do that. And uh, I got a good, I got a good backlog. Uh, so I'm looking forward to reading some in the future too. All right. Now we are going back to the episode. Hope you enjoy it. I don't know. Is there other stuff to talk about? I, it's a big, cool animation. I, you know, weirdly enough, I feel like I have, I guess it's because we read 12 panels, but I don't have a huge <laughs> amount to say about it other than what we've talked about, uh, unless you've got big ideas you want to bring up. Well, 
uh, I guess uh, to, to lean back on a thing that I said last time about uh, like Lord English and sort of the the way that this comic tries to bring your attention to what I've, you know, through Galloway called the interface, but through I've also kind of referred to uh, more explicitly as uh, just like the, the computer screen in front of you uh, with Lord English's summoning. I think we also get some of that where the the uh, the server executes its code and we get a whole bunch of uh, billiard balls like flashing across the screen. Uh, do you remember this? Like, I, 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 if you don't remember it, it's fine because it's like a one off thing that maybe means nothing. No, no. I <laughs> right. Don't so what happens is we see the the server, the code initiates, and then we get all of the uh, pool balls that they like sort of s- spread across the screen and like, mm-hmm. you know, co- ro- uh, rows and columns uh, and a whole bunch of them are flashing. But then except for the ones that are eight balls, which are always static, right? They are dead. Right. Um, and someone stands there and they say, oh, you just see this, but uh, I just see blonde, brunette, redhead. <laughs> uh, they don't have hair color, Cameron. <laughs> Hoisted. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh-huh. They don't have what canon hair color. But anyway, so that occurs. Yes. yes. So that happens. Um, uh, this, uh, to me, reads like a visual callback to Problem Sleuth, particularly the moment where Godhead Pickle Inspector like goes backward and forward throughout all times. And do you remember this part where uh, there, there, like, yes. we have all of these color coded pickle inspectors who are floating around, and also they become like the subatomic particles that uh, create the world. And one yes. of the ways that we are uh, shown this is that we have all of these little colorful dudes like all hanging out together and then we like zoom out and zoom out and zoom out and zoom out until it turns out that uh, all of these colorful little dudes are the lines of the first panel of Problem Sleuth, right? They are they are the material of the world. And I mentioned this on the Problem Sleuth bonus episode where I remember reading Problem Sleuth the first time and being like, oh, that's cute. They become the pixels of your screen. And here we have what I think, again, is kind of that move of, uh, uh, you know, Lord English is already always already here. Uh, you mentioned um, uh, billiard balls is kind of this uh, the, the, the human uh, metaphor for causality. So we have uh, Lord English's code activating and the universe is at its fundamental substrate transformed into a bunch of flashing little balls that could be pixels. Uh, this would explain maybe why the the eight balls are dead pixels, right? They're black, um, mm-hmm. but uh, also suggests <clears throat> like the the way that Lord English lords over the the material of Alternia and its, uh, uh, you know, associated histories or what have you. Right. There's there's something there, I think, about um, Lord English's power being the power of systems. Right. Mm hmm. Where'd all this uh, shaving cream come from? Did I forget where this originated from? Yeah, you forgot. That was in dad's wallet. He had a whole bunch of shaving cream. Oh, he. D- oh, and that's why we got the clip. I got it. OK. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. And that's why. No, yeah. Clubs Deuce uh, stole the wallet from the wallet. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, how did all the bombs get attached to it? Well, uh, uh, CD is also the demolitions expert of the Midnight Crew. So presumably he he knows some things about where to get dynamite. OK, so but we didn't. We didn't see that. No, we didn't see that. Okay, good. good. Mm-hmm. But we also know that shaving cream is extremely flammable because there's been multiple jokes about shaving cream exploding up until this point. That's a big concern. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff under pressure. So Jade busts out of her universe, going into a different universe. Mm-hmm. 
Because they killed the big frog, is their universe dead? Uh, yes. Okay, so uh, can they not go back? Can they go back? Uh, I suppose they could go back if they went back to a point in time before the universe got destroyed. Okay. Uh, because, uh, of the way that time and space has been, uh, talked about in this series so far in which like Alternia, you know, troll universe and human universe are technically separate, but also somehow contiguous with one another. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that the place that they're going is also potentially contiguous with the place that they're going and they're just kind of like teleporting, like they're doing a sliders? Uh, that certainly could be the case. Okay. Well, that that could be a question that would potentially be answered by further reading. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just ideas I had when I was checking the thing out. All right. Well, I think uh, it sounds like it's the end of this episode. Well, one more thing, actually, one really important okay. thing. All right. On November eighth, uh, in the something awful thread, someone posts uh a thing from fandom secrets and like multiple people have like asked me if this has come up yet or they keep coming What's into fandom this. secrets I, i'm gonna get to it i'm gonna get to it oh i'm sorry be patient i'm sorry be patient Kim. i don't want i don't want to be <laughs> i don't want to be patient if there's one thing this comic has told me is you don't have to be patient <laughs> uh so um you know people people occasionally come into the discord and they're like hey has such and such a thing happened yet and I have to be like, no, when it happens, I will talk about it on the show. Um, a thing that has happened that people keep asking about that I've actually put off uh, mentioning just because we've had a couple of heavy episodes is that there's a there's a fan comic and starts as a fan adventure on the official forums uh, that grows into its own thing. It's called Prequel, and it is a prequel to the video game Oblivion. And it is about, <laughs> yes, it, it is. Imagine a Homestuck style adventure that is actually about a Khajiit woman uh, who shows up in Oblivion and has a whole bunch of horrible misadventures or not Oblivion, but rather um, um, Cyrodiil, right? Prior to the events of Oblivion as experienced in uh, the Elder Scrolls for Oblivion. Is it like in the style of Homestuck or something? Yes. Uh, it's got like okay. a, a cartoony art style. And um, I mean, it was it, it becomes kind of its own thing, right? It starts with the Homestuck formula, but it kind of, uh, you know, generates its own little fandom. Um, it even has its own kind of uh, flash animations and things that it ends up doing. I believe it's been on hiatus for like two years now or something. Uh, I don't exactly know why, but I imagine the death of Flash maybe has something to do with it. Um, uh -huh. But anyway, okay. like that's just to say people keep asking like, oh, has prequel happened yet? And prequel did, in fact, happen around this time. Prequels gotten going and like people in the thread uh, historically are like, are you reading prequel? I really like prequel. Well, while the comic is paused before the next update comes, why don't you try reading prequel? So prequel is happening. The other thing, people. This is wild. At the beginning, it is like Homestuck. Yes. Oh, you're 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 looking at it. Yeah. I just yeah. yeah. Well, I was like, oh, you say cartoony style. I was like, oh, whatever. But it, it's it's Homestuck. But like a thing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm hmm. We gotta cash in on this. We gotta do our own. We already did on Twitter, Cameron. Yeah, I know. Well, you did. <laughs> I didn't have an opportunity to get. In. I can get in here. I can start throwing bows. I can get wild. <laughs> I can. I'll give into my worst instincts. Uh huh. I'll just I'll I'll invent 40 new characters in the first 10 pages and allow people to name them all. Good. 
anyway, okay, so prequel happened. Yeah, people so care about that's, that. The other thing people are all, always asking about is, uh, has the Vriska post happened yet? What does that mean? The Vriska post is this. <laughs> Fandom Secrets was a, uh, was, is, probably still running in some form, a community on LiveJournal where uh, you could post anonymous. It was uh, modeled off of Post Secret, which was a big, like, platform web thing of this time um i don't know exactly how how post secret like percolated out it it, it was tumblr right do you remember this i think it was on live journal originally maybe it was live journal. true um so uh how post secret worked is that people uh would write in like secrets confessions on postcards and like mail them in or like scan them and send them to the mailbox or whatever and then they would just be posted anonymously um uh blogger in oh my god blogger. my god okay uh january 1st 2005 yeah so uh yeah post secret was this for for like real life things uh and it would be stuff like i mean it, it's another version of what we see today constantly in uh screen caps of reddit threads like am i the asshole right i have an opinion it's a controversial opinion here's how it resulted in a problem for me and i the asshole except here it was more just about the assertion uh and sometimes it was things like uh i have cheated on my romantic partner and i feel bad sometimes it's like i've cheated on my romantic partner and i don't feel bad sometimes it was like i've committed murder and i got away with it that sort of thing um and as always in this kind of ecosystem, you had to slowly acclimate yourself to the idea that uh, a good number of these could just be jokes that people are posting because they know that there are people who look at these communities and are like, wow, uh, here's a thing that I can share and say, look at these weirdos over in this corner of the Internet you're not looking at. Um, enter fandom. Of course, fandom wants its own version of this. So uh, fandom secrets is the live journal community where people are doing this, but specifically for the unpopular opinions or secrets they have about fandoms that they're in. Um, <laughs> things like I know, uh, like I, I don't have the strength to tell anyone that uh, reading Naruto is what helped me get over my crippling depression or something. Like, I, I read a lot of fandom secrets is what I can say. Uh, this was part of anti-fan Michael's days was like, you know, checking in on these communities and particularly monitoring fandom secrets for kind of the most outrageous behaviors, because that's how I could sense. It was like, you know, the, the shark senses like the chum in the water from however far away. If people start making really deranged secrets about a particular fandom, it's like, oh, this is a fandom that's going to do stuff like time to time to put an eye on them. Right. Mm. Um. So anyway, uh, someone these are I'm, I'm looking at some fandom secrets right yeah. now and they're extremely pedestrian in a way that uh, post secret was also pedestrian, but at least like kind of artful. Uh -huh. But like this, this is one. It's a picture of uh, Sansa from Game of Thrones. Every time I think about how Game of Thrones ended, I get annoyed, except for Sansa. She was the only person whose ending I liked. <laughs> Great. Cool. Cool secret. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not, it's not, if that's your secret, I'm I'm uh, happy you shared it. But uh, some of these are like full paragraphs. Uh -huh. 
they are long Mm -hmm. long confessions a a lot of this is like uh the other format that this takes today uh especially on twitter is like uh uh, what's your what's your opinion that gets you this reaction right it's a a a way of posting unpopular opinions that in your fandom for instance you might like a particular ship that no one else is really into or that you feel like people people tend to judge folks who are into this ship then you can make your fandom secret about how much you really love that ship and you wish that uh you could Find someone who understood that one post secret. Or yeah, one fandom secret I found actually from uh, a little earlier in my you know archival readings here was someone being like, I wish I could find a girl who uh, read Homestuck so we could date. Oh, yeah, real, real sad. Um, what is this you've just sent me? You, you don't have to read it now, but it's it's on the main page of Fandom Secrets, and it's long as hell. That is extremely long. There's a lot of things happening here. There's a lot. There's a lot of fonts on it. Uh huh. There's a lot of people demanding that other people in fanfic uh, uh, conform to standards, and then complaining about their spelling, and it has a big misspelling in it. Uh, so there's a lot going on with it. Yeah. Is all I'm saying. Well, this is all. This is all just laying the runway. For what is the ultimate Homestuck fandom secret, which is the Vriska post, which I have just dropped in here for you and I will now read it for everyone. This is long as hell. What is going on? So the image here is uh, an image from the comic of Aridin. Uh, where he was getting ready to kill Kanaya. So it's this very stylized, like, purple background with him as kind of like a black silhouette with, like, his his wand being drawn and held at the ready. Um, and here is what this thing says. I still think that his character arc, that is to say Aridin, is an allegory for the Obama presidency. Think about it. The supposed Prince of Hope knocks out Sullock's parentheses bipartisanship and betrays Feferi parentheses social welfare programs and Kanaya parentheses the LGBT community in order to suck up to the fascist murder beast Beck Noir parentheses the GOP who feels irrational loyalty to Jade parentheses Reagan a figure whom Noir does not truly know or understand and whose actions have often directly contradicted his stated ideals and goals Aridin then goes to confront Gamzee parentheses, the increasingly dispossessed and disillusioned middle class, and Vriska, parentheses, Vriska, with the intention of eliminating them as well, while his past self has made futile attempts at flirting with Karkat, parentheses, true leftism. It just makes too much sense. Secret because... I don't want to imply that Andrew Hussey wants queer voters to engage in the democratic process with their chainsaws in this coming election. I, uh... I don't think we should think about this too hard. I'm going to say that right out. Uh huh. But I will say, this is a beautiful piece of art. <laughs> Just conceptually, everything about this is, it, it kind of makes me want to cry. Mm-hmm. It's so perfectly done. It is. Vriska, Vri- I get it now. Yes. <laughs> You're all right. When you bring that up, it's great. It's truly good. <laughs> Yeah, so this is one of those th- like this becomes such a, a, a famous post within the fandom uh, because <laughs> because it like is like, hey, here I'm going to explain my political allegory for you. And it works through the whole thing. And then it gets just before the end. And it's like, by the way, uh, Riska just represents herself. Riska is just irreducible yeah. in this entire thing. <laughs> yeah. In the real world, Riska running around. Mm hmm. 
the uh I, you know that this brings up something that's actually pretty interesting i guess that you know in the i don't know in this kind of time period i would say of like nerd products their allegory was a big thing mm-hmm. like what does a thing stand in for what what is the symbolism behind the thing if i can say that there's one thing that the Disneyfication of all like nerd properties, Star Wars, Marvel, whatever, where like 70% of people's lives are taken up by one media co- company. It is that nothing stands in for anything else. Like, like in a general sense, we have become like, and I say we in the biggest, broadest general sense, right? But uh, fan communities and fan discourse has largely become immune to talking about allegory. Really? I think so of like mm. a thing that stands in for something else. Mm. I think people will often say that a thing does something right. That like uh, a character does things and then that matters for that character or it matters for a context for that character. But I don't really see very many people being like, and of course, Chewbacca is the democratic party <laughs> dying multiple deaths <laughs> back to back. You know what I mean? Like I, th- that seemed to dominate discourse for a while and I don't really see that as much anymore. Yeah. I see uh, what you mean. I see a lot of interpretive reads, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, like what does this media property tell us about X situation? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, <laughs> you know, right. Is severance leftist enough? Right. right. Mm-hmm. That, that, that happens, but it, I, I don't see very much like is the boss in severance joe biden oh uh, yeah mm-hmm. you know what i mean i the, where that's directly allegorical right right um you know it seems like the terms have shifted oh and i, I read the secret as like you know obviously a joke and like yes you know, the jade reagan thing right like the <laughs> jade is reagan because right and then it provides like this definition of reagan that is just absolutely not at all anything like the act like I just say that's you're taking it one percent too serious. <laughs> I just I refuse. <laughs> oh, but it still gives us risk of risca. Like, oh, it's great. The risk the unallegorizable risca. This is art. Mm-hmm. Like whatever you know. I think a lot of interesting things come out of Homestuck. This is this is top tier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it deserves its meme status for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, with uh, that all established, uh, yeah, I guess this uh, d- does bring bring an end to this episode. Uh, hopefully, Cameron, you appreciated having to read a little bit less, even though you did have to watch a whole five to 13 to 14 to 15 to 25 minutes of animation. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I like doing it. Great. Um so, like, what do we have to look forward to? Well, we have Act 6, uh, which, as I said, people people thought was going to be kind of uh, an additional narrowing of scope, right? That we were heading s- truly straightforwardly to the end of Homestuck. Uh, but, of course, we were all suckers. Uh, and this is a thing that you already know that Act 6 is the entire back half of the comic. Uh, and there we go. It's the never ending story, man. What happens when you hit the midpoint of a story and that story just keeps going? What, what do you do with that? And those are questions we can kind of front load with our, our privileged place in time and space here. Uh, as we look forward to the beginning of episode seven of Homestuck Made This World, when we will finally begin act six. Um, just so you know, folks, uh, I'm asking you to read a, a pretty hefty chunk. Um, I would like you to read up to page 4,390 
for next time. And then we will reconvene in two weeks to figure out what is going on on the other side of this fourth wall, this second fourth wall. I get yeah, second. Yeah, the other one was the fifth wall. So the second fourth wall. Cool.